evening, everybody. We all okay? You're quite quiet tonight. You can be louder, I know you can. Wow, so spontaneous. Um, why don't we turn to Philippians chapter 2? And um, many of you are aware this, this is actually now the third part in a series of four. Um, Philippians chapter 2, from verse 9 um, this time, but it's a, a scripture we've kept coming back to. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in the last two parts of this series, we've looked um, very much at the whole series about Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And in the first part, we looked at Christ, the crucified King. And in the second part, we looked at Christ, the resurrected King. Because first and foremost, Jesus is a King. He's the King of a kingdom. He's the King of God's kingdom. He's the one that has come to make God's rule on the earth a possibility. Remember, we said that we were enemies of God. We were outside of his rule and his reign. We weren't able to be a part of bringing his will to the earth. We weren't able to be a part of making the world it's supposed to be because we'd rejected God's rule and reign. But Jesus, the crucified king, paid the price for our sin and rebellion, for our rejection of him. He washed us clean with his blood. And Jesus, our resurrected King, destroyed the power of sin and death. And he gave us life in him. He's the king of a kingdom. He is our intimate friend. He's our loving savior. He's closer than a brother. He's so close. He's so intimate to us. And at the same time, without diminishing any of that, he's also our mighty warrior king the conquering king, the king of kings and the lord of lords who we bow down before in awe and majesty. Once we were enemies of God, in opposition to his plan and purpose, unable to live under his authority, but now because Jesus died and rose again, we've been born again. The old has gone. The new has come. We've been brought from death to life. We're able to receive Jesus as our king. We're able to bow before him. Oh, every knee will one day bow before him. But rather than being forced to our knees, he's made it possible for us to willingly receive his rule into our lives. And more than that, he has made it possible for us to embrace that rule and to partner with him for the transformation of the world. Because when we walk into the room, there is resurrection life in all we do. Because he is the resurrection and the life and he is in us and we are in him. So Jesus is our crucified king. That was just a recap. Jesus is our resurrected king. And this evening, I want to tell you that Jesus is also our ascended king. So why don't we turn together to Acts chapter 1. In my former book, 
Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Jesus, he had this period of 40 days between his resurrection. So we've said everything that he's done for his crucifixion and his resurrection. And he's about to ascend into heaven. And he's got this 40-day period. And what does he talk about? He talks about the rule of God. He talks about the kingdom of God. That's what he spends his time talking about with his followers. Because that is what this is all about. Enabling the kingdom of God on the earth. And so, verse 4, it says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they were expecting him to restore the kingdom. They were expecting this Messiah, this king, to come and and make everything the way it should be. And so when he said, well, I'm about to pour out my spirit, they thought, well, this must be the end. This must be the end of all times. This is finally when everything is the way God intends it to be on the earth. But Jesus changes the subject. And instead of answering their question about when, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates The father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He spoke to them about the kingdom and then he said, I'm about to pour out my spirit. They said, this must be the end. He said, I'm going to give you power and put my Holy Spirit upon you. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So, we talked quite a bit about baptism, baptism in water, in the context of Christ who is crucified and Christ who is risen again. We talked about the power of water baptism and how we identify ourselves with his death and his resurrection. That in this really spiritual, powerful and significant way, when we're baptised in water, we're identified with his crucifixion. And by his crucifixion, we are able to die to our old way of life. And we are identified with his resurrection. And we are able to enter into the new life of Jesus Christ. But now Jesus talks about another kind of baptism. One that will be triggered by his ascension into heaven. Just as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven to be exalted or to be glorified, both um, similar biblical expressions that mean the same thing. When he's glorified, when he's exalted, he's talking about when he ascends into heaven and he sits down at the right hand of the Father. 
And he explains that when he does that, he will pour out from there the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 14, from verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So Jesus says, the proof that God is with me, the proof that God is in me, the proof that we are one, the Father in me and me in the Father, is the signs and wonders that you see before you, the works that you see me doing, the way you see me loving people, the way you see me forgiving people, the grace that you see on display in my life, the way I love the unloved, the way I heal the sick, the way I cast out demons, the way I raise the dead. Everything you see going on in my life, it's proof that God is in me and with me. And then he says something truly outstanding. Verse 12, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Not those really keen Christians that sit in the front two rows of the meeting. Not the leadership team, not the apostolic team, not the pioneer network leaders, but whoever believes in me. Is there anybody here this evening that believes in Jesus? Just put your hand for me in the air because we're going to come and talk to you afterwards if your hand isn't up because we'd love you to know about Jesus. Ah, there you all go. Whoever, that's you, you've just counted yourself in. Whoever believes in me will do what I've been doing. That's talking about you. You will do the works that Jesus did because, why will you do the works that he did? Because he's going to the Father. I tell you the truth, you will do the works that I do because I'm going to the Father. So we'll carry on reading together. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. But before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And skip into chapter 15, verse 26. Then when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning." And chapter 16 from verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Isn't that incredible? Jesus says it's for your good that he ascends into heaven. It's for your good. Why? Because otherwise he would have had to do it all himself. But it's for your good because you get to be a part of doing the works that Jesus did. It's for your good that he went away. He ascended into heaven so that you could be empowered and enabled. And what does he say he will do when he ascends into heaven? He will pour out the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus was certainly capable of bringing about the end without you. He didn't need you. He didn't need me. It wasn't like he, he kind of didn't quite finish the job on the cross. We believe, don't we, that in his death and his resurrection, Jesus did it all. He said at the cross, it is finished. He paid the price completely. He didn't just have most of the money and ask us to lend him a bit. He paid the price completely. It's a complete and finished work. But it was never the plan and purpose of God for you to be left out of it. It was never the plan and purpose of God for you individually as a person whom he has called by name. It was never his purpose that you should be left out of what he was doing in the world. God's plan has always been to have sons and daughters who partner with him. To have heirs, mature sons and daughters of God. Not just little kiddies, but those who are growing up and becoming mature and have full inheritance rights because this kingdom is our kingdom. Because we are sons and daughters of the king. It's amazing, isn't it? He hasn't just made us subjects, but he's made us subjects who are sons and daughters. The very best kind of subjects because they're invested into this kingdom, because it's their kingdom, because it's their inheritance. In Revelation chapter 5, John describes this amazing vision of heaven, of the ascended Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God in heaven. And we're just going to read from Revelation 5 and verse 9. Revelation 5 from verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders bowed down and worshipped. Do you know what made them worship like that? Do you know what triggered them in all that praise and worship, in all that bowing down before him? They proclaimed, you have purchased men and women for God with your blood and made them to rule on the earth. That's why he's worthy of all this praise and adoration because he purchased you with his blood and made it possible for you to reign on the earth. He made it possible for you to be part of bringing the rule and reign of God from heaven into our world. That you would not only receive his rule by bowing your knee, but you'd also be a part of bringing his loving authority to the world around you. So I'm talking about you healing the sick. Not the person next to you, not the leaders, not the prayer ministry team. I'm talking about you healing the sick. 
not just in church meetings. I'm talking about you healing the, ch- the sick in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community. I'm talking about you standing up for truth and justice. When there are things that are not right in our world, you taking a stand. I'm talking about you setting captives free. Whether that's people oppressed by demonic influences, whether that's um, mental health issues, emotional issues, um, poverty, wherever people are, are captive in their lives, about you being there with the power and authority of God to be an answer in their situation. I'm talking about you loving the unloved. I'm talking about you proclaiming the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. Yes, you actually sharing the gospel. I'm talking about you having the boldness and the confidence to tell people that Jesus is actually a king, by the way. I'm talking about you having the confidence. When people see the very real difference that it's made in your life to pass from death to life in Jesus. I'm talking about people noticing that there's something different about you. And I'm talking about you having the boldness and the confidence and the authority to tell them what that difference is. To explain to them who Jesus is. To explain that he's died and he's risen and he's ascended into heaven. And he can be real in their lives too. That he wants to bring his rule to the ends of the earth. I'm talking about you actually having authority. About you knowing who you are as a son or daughter of the king. And praying and knowing that as you pray it has power. Knowing that you have authority as an heir of the kingdom of God. I'm talking about you moving in power. I'm talking about you living in the supernatural. I'm talking about you living in the victory that Christ has won for you because I'm talking about you living in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You see, John the Baptist had his mission, didn't he? It was to prepare the way for Jesus. And if you remember what he came preaching was repent, turn around, think differently, reorientate your life because the rule of heaven is is at hand. And what did he do? He told us two things about Jesus. You'll find it in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, from verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the first thing that Jesus did for you. He took away your sin. Without that, game over. You were an enemy of God. You were outside of his kingdom, but he took away your sin. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize of water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. You see, we must not think for a moment that baptism in the Holy Spirit is just for those people that sit on the first two rows of the church meeting. We must not think that baptism in the Holy Spirit is for those people who like to sway when they worship. Or those people who the minute anyone goes near them to pray for them, they kind of go, Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about theatrics. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just for the leaders or for the, the, the extra radical or just a choice of worship style. 
Baptism in the Holy Spirit is what Jesus came to do. He came to take away your sin and baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That's what John the Baptist said. That's what Jesus said that he was about to do. He came to take away your sin so that he could fill you with the Holy Spirit. Remember that word, baptize, it means submerge. To immerse in, to be completely filled because you're, you're completely surrounded. And so he was saying, I'm going to surround you and fill you to overflowing with God. Because the Holy Spirit is God. I'm going to pour myself out into you. I'm going to fill you to overflowing. Jesus gave his life so that I could be delivered from my sin and anointed with the Holy Spirit. And this is his identity. This is what John the Baptist says. He is the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. See, at Pentecost, it happened. The believers had been waiting, as Jesus had told them to do, after his resurrection, after he'd ascended into heaven. And they were waiting and they were praying. And finally, the Holy Spirit came when they were gathered together. And they began to speak in tongues. And the people around them heard their own languages. And they were amazed, but then some people began to say, well, these people must be drunk. And so Peter stood up and he explained to them, no, they're not drunk. This is actually what the the Old Testament has always been building towards and promising us that God would one day pour out his Holy Spirit on everybody. And we'll pick up that story in Acts chapter 2 from verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This promise is for everyone who Jesus calls to himself. I want to fill you. I want to anoint you. I want to empower you. I want you to be able to do the works that I did. I want you to be able to move in signs and wonders. I want you to be able to love the unloved. I want you to be able to proclaim the gospel fearlessly and boldly. I want you to be moved with my power to make a difference in this world because I want you to be part of what I'm doing in bringing my reign to the earth. Jesus had triumphed over his enemies. He'd made a public spectacle of them at the cross. He's defeated the power of death, hell, and the grave. He's defeated all the powers of darkness by rising from the dead. And then he ascends. He's glorified. He sits down at the right hand of Father God. He ascends triumphantly 
He's seated at the right hand of majesty. Hebrews 1.3 says that after he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. This is the exalted, glorified King Jesus who from that place at the right hand of majesty pours out the Holy Spirit into your life. Who am I to say to King Jesus, who is crucified and resurrected and glorified in heaven, I don't want that. I don't want any more of that in my life. He pours out God himself. He pours himself upon us and in us. He fills us with himself to overflowing. You know, the Bible teaches us he seals us with that anointing. He marks us out as his. He leads us into truth. He confirms your identity as a son, as a daughter of God, as his heir. He actually establishes your authority through that anointing. He gives you authority that all the spiritual forces around you know that you have authority because that seal is upon you. He empowers you supernaturally. He clothes you with power. He clothes you with himself. You are supposed to do the works that Jesus did. You cannot get away from it. You are supposed to do the works that Jesus did. He sends you the same way he was sent, in the same anointing. We have to have this anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we must live in this anointing of the Holy Spirit because we dare not waste what Jesus gave his life for. Now, baptism in the Holy Spirit usually begins with tongues. We say that because in all the biblical examples in the New Testament, that's what happened. People began to speak in tongues. In fact, there's one occasion in Acts chapter 8 where it doesn't tell us what happened, but it certainly tells us that something very definite and observable happened because Simon the sorcerer who was there was like, wow, that's amazing. I want to be able to do that too. So we don't know on that occasion, but on every other occasion it says that they spoke in tongues. Now I'm distinguishing speaking in tongues between you and God from someone bringing a tongue to the meeting. We know that has to be interpreted. But that tongues that's between you and God, the Bible says it edifies you. It says it strengthens you. It makes you spiritually stronger. We love the gift of tongues. And of course, Paul said, I wish that you would all speak in tongues. We believe it's for everyone and we believe it's the norm. But baptism in the Holy Spirit is not all about speaking in tongues. And I want to just take that out of our minds for a moment. I think it's an amazing gift. And if you say to me, do I have to speak in tongues? I'd say to you, why wouldn't you want to speak in tongues when God says it does you this much good? But it's not all about the speaking in tongues. It's about you being able to live the life that God has sent you to live in power and authority, making a difference in this world. We cannot live the life that our Lord and King Jesus calls us to live without the anointing of his spirit. I mean, think about it. It's all about, the kingdom is all about heaven coming into our world. And when John describes it in the book of Revelation, he talks about the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is a picture of the church coming down out of heaven from God. See, it's not that the church is supposed to do its best with all its human wisdom and skills to build something that might one day attain to heaven. No, we're not called to build upwards from earth to heaven. We're called to receive something from heaven into our world. And that's why it makes perfect sense 
that actually we are totally dependent on the one who has ascended into heaven for us to pour out what we need from heaven. We couldn't make it up there without him, but he ascended into heaven for us that he might pour out himself, the Holy Spirit, into our lives. So if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to urge you to seek it, to be hungry for it, to pray. I don't care how many times you've been prayed for before. I mean, I do care. I, I feel for you. If you're frustrated, I feel for you and I empathize with you. But I want to encourage you, keep going. Don't stop believing. The Bible tells us he knows how to give good gifts to his children whom he loves. He loves you and he wants to give the Holy Spirit to you. If you've never spoken in tongues, I want to urge you to seek that and to be hungry for it. But remember, it's not all about that. But please don't tell me that you're hungry and you're seeking God with all your heart when you came out for an appeal several weeks ago and next time someone makes an appeal, you may or may not reluctantly come forward to be prayed for because hunger to me looks like wanting to eat every day. Hunger to me looks like I'm desperate for this. I want this. And if I'm hungry for something, I'm going to go to God again and again and again. I'm not going to wait for the next opportunity to be prayed for. I'll take every opportunity that comes to be prayed for, but I'm going to keep coming to God saying, I believe you. I believe this is truth. I believe you want this in my life. I want more of your Holy Spirit. And if you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, praise God. But you know you can't stop because the Bible says, go on being filled with the Spirit. Again and again and again, we always need more of him. And we need to be desperate. Jesus, would you pour out from heaven all that you have for me? Because you have purposed that I would be a part of what you're doing in this world. And I'm not satisfied anymore with just coming to church. I'm not satisfied anymore with just going to connect group or joining a serving team. I want to move in power I want to live the kind of life that people lived in the Bible. I want to live for you with passion. I want to make a difference in my world. And I can't do that on my own. So I dare to believe you that you can make me more than I was before. I dare to believe you that though I'm shy, though I'm timid, though I get nervous, though I wonder if I could ever live up to any of this, you can make a difference when you pour out the Holy Spirit from heaven into my life. And there's one more thing I want to share with us to finish this evening. The fact that Jesus has ascended into heaven not only means that he has gone to receive from the Father the promised Holy Spirit that he now pours out in our lives, but also he is seated at the right hand of God right now and he is praying for you. Romans 8 from verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. Crucified, resurrected, ascended. And he is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm convinced that nothing can bring an end to his perfect love for you. Nothing, nothing can separate you from his love. And the God that loves you with that love, the Jesus who loves you with that love, is praying for you right now at the right hand of God in heaven. Maybe you're finding it tough. Maybe you're thinking, I could never be this person that you've been describing tonight, Richard, because actually everything in my world is going wrong right now. Maybe you've believed and you've believed and you've prayed and you've prayed and seemingly to you the heavens are like brass and you feel distant from God. This is the truth. However bad you feel it might be right now, Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. Now, you know when you go to, I don't know if you've ever been to a kind of Christian conference or some kind of place where kind of like the the, the celebrity preacher comes in, and if there's a prayer time, they've got their prayer ministry team, but you don't want any of them to pray for you. You want the main speaker to pray for you. It's stupid, really, because, can I just say that? It is stupid because, um, you know, the same Holy Spirit is in all of us, Um, but we just love that, and well, think about this. You know, if there's a conference and Jesus is at the conference, who do you want praying for you? <laughs> Jesus is in heaven right now praying for you. Thanks. Hebrews 7 and verse 23. Hebrews 7 from verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests, he's talking about the priests from the Old Testament, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. He is able to save you completely. You might feel like you're hanging on by your fingernails, And that you wonder whether you'll make it. You'll wonder whether you'll live up to all this stuff that we're talking about. You'll wonder if you'll make it through tomorrow sometimes. Things seem so bleak and so so dark at times in our lives. But he is always able to save you completely. He's able to bring you all the way through. In another place in scripture it says, He is able to to make you to stand. He is able to keep you until the end. He's able to make you victorious, to make you triumphant. You will make it to the end. Why? Because Jesus is praying for you. Because Jesus is interceding for you. Don't you dare cast doubt on the power of the prayers of Jesus. Don't you dare say, well, I'm not sure his prayers are enough for me. Jesus is in heaven praying for you. Jesus went into heaven so that he could pour out the Holy Spirit in your life, so that he could empower you to make a difference in this world. And he said, you know what? I will pray for you every step of the way. I will pray for you until you make it until the end. Revelation 3 and verse 21 says this, to the one who is victorious. And remember, he's praying for you and he's able to save you completely. So there is no doubt you're going to be victorious because he's praying for you. He will not give up praying for you and nothing can take you away from his love. To the one who is victorious, 
I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. I will give you, I will cause you to be victorious. I'll pray for you until the end. I will cause you to sit down on my throne just as I've sat down on my father's throne. So picture this, Jesus, this awesome, crucified, resurrected king, ascends into heaven in majesty and glory. And he sits down triumphantly at the right hand of the Father. And all the angels of heaven are around him, worshipping before his throne. And he prays, and he prays, and he prays for you all the way through your life to that moment when he says, Father, would you move over a bit? I've got someone else coming to sit on our throne with us. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. That is who you are. You just have a choice right now. Will you believe the word of God that you've heard proclaimed to you this evening? Our ascended king has entered into heaven and made it possible for us to receive the things of heaven. Close us with heaven as he clothes us with himself. He makes us a supernatural people, true heirs of his kingdom, and he enables us to rule and reign with him. And Jesus, our ascended king, is ever interceding for us. He's with us by his spirit, but he's also gone ahead of us. He prepares a place for us and he makes a way for us. And he causes us to triumph. Because he's our king of kings and our lord of lords. Jesus is our ascended king. Could we just stand? I just like us to open our hearts to God and we're just going to ask God for more. We're going to ask Jesus to pour out more of what he has for us. And you know, there are examples in scripture where no one laid hands on anyone and they just were filled with the Holy Spirit. There were examples in scripture where no one laid hands on anyone and they began to speak in tongues. And so if that's you this evening, I want to encourage you, ask him, ask him, ask him now, Lord, I want you. I want you, I want more of you, I want you to move in my life. I'm hungry for the things of God. I want this baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want to be baptized in your Holy Spirit. I want to be anointed with power. I want to see the supernatural. I want those things that we've been talking about this evening. Ask him. When people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit doesn't move their tongue for them. They start to speak. It's an act of faith. And So whether it's just the same syllable over and over again or a whole load of syllables, you won't understand it, but I just encourage you, have faith and step out. But remember, it's not all about tongues. And so all of us, let's just be crying out to God. Let's be saying, Jesus, I want more of your spirit in my life. I want to live in that anointing. I want to make the difference that that anointing makes. Thank him that he's praying for you right now and ask him with faith that he would pour out more of his spirit. Can we do that? Can we raise up our voices together? I want to challenge you to actually pray out loud and to ask him and to say, Jesus, I want more of your spirit. Jesus, pour out your spirit in my life. So we'll just raise up our voices. Let's keep going.